Hello, welcome to episode 50. If you've tuned in to hear me kill a horse, cat, and a carrot, please park in the rear. If you're tuning in from Columbus, Ohio, please help yourself to the free punch and pie. I don't know whether you love me or hate me, and I don't care. Either way, I appreciate that you're listening as much as you are. I have never been to Columbus, Ohio. I don't know anything about Columbus, Ohio. Other than I'm going to stop and do shows there when I finally have a comedy tour so that I can get stabbed or be celebrated. Celebrate stabbing me! Celebrate this very special episode 50 of the Tunana Shoe podcast dedicated to Columbus, Ohio. I'm also kicking off a contest. Ooh. This contest is a joke writing contest and will be a very specific joke. The prize will be your joke will be shared in the next episode of the Tunana Shoe podcast and whatever other information you would like shared, your personal name, our personal request. Most importantly, you will be honorably awarded a Tunana Shoe pin. The winning joke will be about Selena Gomez and her kidney transplant. Selena Gomez, as quoted by Pop Sugar, has said, I'm not sure how writing jokes about organ transplants for television shows has become a thing, but sadly it has, apparently. I don't know either, but I'm excited to find out and to hear these jokes. Organ transplant is for comedy what shooting children in schools is for mass murder. This episode is also brought to you by Leftovers. Bring whatever you got, we'll make it hot. I'm good with leftovers. I like having them, I like eating them, and I like how they push me to use them in another meal if I do decide to get creative with them. I'd love an improv food truck where you bring whatever leftovers and they get turned into an awesome meal. If you want good leftovers, though, you gotta have good food. And if you want good food, you gotta get good ingredients. As is life, in which there's two types of people in this world. There is. There's two types of people in this world. People who say everything twice, and people who say the same thing two different ways. There are all those other people, too, though, who aren't those people or those other people. There's a lot of people, and some of them say, sticks and stones may break my bones, and some of them are hurt by that. That imagery they created felt so deeply, like a kidney transplant joke on TV. Wait, hold on, they've been joking about stealing the kidneys in the bathtub thing forever. There's way worse shit out there now, too. Like in this show that I discovered recently that I'm very happy I came across The Shivering Truth. I'm still processing how raw and original it is. How it's the closest to what I could identify as the type of TV show I might create. And how genius the ideas are and executed and I'm sure the writer must be. Vernon Chapman... I see you, and thank you. I also was recently shown this movie, Arrival, that's about aliens, and it's not typically my type of movie. That subject isn't typically something that interests me. But damn, 
all around great movie and i especially like the ideas and the use of language linguistics and the information they had about that next to philosophy that's a field that has interested me most and that i think could tell us the most about humanity as well as possibly being the most beneficial so much of who we are and our history is in how our language developed and how we still choose to speak and communicate with one another. Could probably even argue it's the most important thing to where we're going and how to get to where we want to be as individuals, as a society, and as humanity. Oh, the humanity. Since it is episode 50, and that is special because I keep saying it's special and talking about how it's special and how I want it to be special and how I want to make it special, I did something special. I spoke with a linguist. I said, hey, linguist lady. And she said, hey, that's not my name. And I said, hey, linguist they... There was precisely that much silence, which I then broke when I asked her, what language is abracadabra? Where does that come from? What's it mean? She told me, it's magic. I said, if it's so magic, how come it didn't do anything just then? Come on, language lady, what's it mean? She told me I was mean, and that I should leave Selena Gomez's kidneys alone, and then she hung up on me. I didn't have the chance to tell her that she had the 37th most annoying voice I'd ever heard. Her loss, she missed the parade of farts. For this here 50th episode, I was also thinking it would be fun if we shared some of the favorite moments from the podcast. I'd invite everyone that's been on the show to talk about their favorite memories, and then I remembered there weren't any of those. Then, as a replacement, I remembered that I had a 12-page research paper from Comp 102. It just so happens to be on communication like we're talking about. I even have a section about linguistics. But then, I remembered that even people from Columbus, Ohio wouldn't want to sit and listen to a 12-page research paper. Especially not on the special 50th episode of the Tianshu podcast. Now I remember I've been using remember wrong. In conclusion, and in honorable celebration of the top of a 10 and the fop of a 50, let us gander back in some, reflect on what we've done, and where we are, and where we are headed in the Tianshu Empire. When I look back on all the Tunanashuri that's transpired, the first that comes to mind still is episode four, The Bagel. The Bagel Bit, not to be confused with Bagel Bites, was my first that I felt was well-written that sounded like a real bit. That episode also helped me find a better sense of pacing and balance and dynamic to an overall episode structure. That led to me playing with that structure more and the whole process of a podcast, having two versions of me in an episode, making Beans Fun part of the brand, spurring the first bean-focused podcast, crescendoing up to the 9-11 dick pics. 
the new favorite for a while and still in the top five of all time. There were some drops in between, some messy moments, some things I didn't like at the time or I ended up not liking later. Then there was episode 21, which is still my personal favorite. It's got it all, all that I want to have. Then there was a good streak, like episode 25 through 28 or 29, I really enjoyed. After that, I took my first big break, at the time I thought because I needed and wanted it, but also because I did want to look at everything that I had done. I called it the quarterly analysis, and I went back to episode one. I listened to every episode intently, analytically. Smash all that together. Algorithmize that shit. Set myself down in an office with a mirror and read this to myself and listen to myself. Chase every emotion. Don't build or feed hate or other emotions. Just free them when there. Fun equals mess, edge. Personify emotions. Raw ideas. Add jokes to serious. Add message to jokes. Feed of material creates momentum. Keep building on these strengths. What I wanted and needed to work on most, random and rambly. Don't always like the poetry unless it really fits, unless shop talk. The reason there are so many people that don't get what they want or where they want to be is because they stop there. They get some shit they like, and maybe it's good, but it took so much out of them for so long that they're so attached to it. Having seen and trying to avoid that, I push very strongly in the opposite direction. I want to scorch the earth. But that can be equally containing. A certain amount of burning will help. It will create a better ecosystem and environment. It's important to let it feel good, to see the value in it, and to remember it. Keep part of that. You have to. Nobody gets to keep it all even the most brilliant mentally that are able to hold on to as much as accurately as possible have other issues because of that. It's not natural. Where now? Where now? Where are we? Where am I? Where are you? Where is the Tunana shoe? I love a lot of what I've done. I got a year, a number, minutes, and a sight. I've got some mental wear where I had to push it a little too hard at certain points where there's extra stress and time and energy I didn't have in certain weeks and months trying to get this done and making it happen. Holding myself to standards, still not where I want to be. How do I get there? What do I do going forward to get to that point? I want to do another evaluation, go back to episode 31 and listen to now. I want to write more. I want there to be another noticeable improvement in the structure and the quality. I want more involvement. I get feedback from one person now. It's good feedback from one person that I respect and value, but it's one person. I want to put together, practice, and polish all the parts I have that would make good bits. I want to do open mics to see if they do for that involvement and that interaction. Find people that will give feedback and that can be involved, whether it's just ideas or actually on the podcast. 
When shit isn't good, I want a Tunana Boo. I want a big break. I've earned the time off. I want rest and to recharge and to refocus. I want some living without writing, without an approaching deadline. Gotta get a new job so I can quit this job to free up the energy to do that. Happy 50 to Nana Shu. Remember to send me your best Selena Gomez organ transplant jokes for an exclusive to Nana Shu pin. If that's all you want this episode to be, go ahead and stop listening now. If you want a little more of me, here is an old story. Herald. Noun. One. An official messenger bringing news. Two, a person or thing viewed as a sign that something is about to happen. Harold stared at the gleaming yellow light of a poorly lit Denny sidewalk late Tuesday night in Chandler. He stopped walking when yellow reflected off a growing pool of red. He saw two men, one on top of the other, just a few feet away. The man on top heard and turned his head. Harold had never known he could be so at home in a heart or that the first blows of a hammer to skull are muted by skin. One hundred degrees sweat fell from his forehead between drops of blood. Sun stored in slabs of concrete dried both fluids in seconds. Heat radiated, rage-fueled fire in the actions of this man. The name Theus came to Harold's mind. He watched and considered if any being could emanate emotion like weather. He thought of trains... He thought about struggle, how suffering pushed progress, and heard change in tone as hammer made way to bone. A Denny's apron lay beneath a body that had not struggled or suffered from incredible, efficient swings. Theus released once more, his hammer struck sidewalk through the largest and only hole in what could questionably still be considered a human head. Cars glided past. He raised his chest, shoulders, and body in unison before he inclined his head. Harold liked to look at people, and that no one looked back. Theus looked back over his shoulder, his eyes like blood-soaked cement. He used the sleeve of his shirt to wipe his face of deep wrinkles permanently pressed into a scowl. He was bald and clean-shaven. His posture hunched shoulders, protruded long arms, and made his chest full enough to blow down three little piggies' houses in one breath. Harold drew a breath and opened his mouth. Theus sucked angry air through his nostrils as they widened. His hand tightened into a wad of meat and pulsating veins Harold knew was as equally capable as a hammer. A slobbish-looking man stumbled over the arm of Hammerhead and between Harold and Theus, whose eyes gleamed with renewed rancor as stumble steps mumbled something about Snapchat. Theus waited. Harold watched. He remembered a scene in an old movie with Tom Hanks when he first created fire stranded on an island. Theus was back in motion, meticulous. Misanthropy guided every step, every motion shifting expertly between cars, hovering with no driver and not wanting to feel cast away, Harold followed. Harold drifted behind while contemplation drifted into questions. Why had no one noticed or cared? His stomach grumbled, trying to tell him a tomato should not be the size of a hamburger. He scratched his curly hair with long, clumsy fingers. His ears were too big and stuck out too far. He'd always bumped or brushed them when he did this, and it had always bothered him. His eyes were large, dark brown, and closed rarely and slowly. They focused on how this man moved. 
His limbs slowly loosened and lengthened as livid turned lucid. This is what snakes looked like after they shed their skin, and he had just shed more animosity, more feeling than Harold had ever been fortunate enough to witness in real life. Harold had always wanted to feel. No, he felt obligated. That obligation dampened his voice and weighed on his emotional capacity. Existence, interpreted into understanding, did not translate. He understood emotion, he thought, but that almost hindered him as much as an apathetic environment had influenced growing up with no more nature than nurture. Self-driven, hover cars had been as natural as they were necessary. Advances in technology increased dependency on automation. Even with ease-enabled grid systems, drivers in Arizona seemed too dumb and distracted to handle the responsibility of focusing on the road. A dangerous duality of timid, frightened, conservative driving was unbalanced and overcompensated by stressed, smoldering speed. This was nothing new between political parties, gender, race, and a melting pot with too high a flame. Everything boiled into mush, stuck, and burnt to the bottom unstirred. Like Arizona, sun-boiled skin and temperament equally as everyone complained craving equality, socialism, or anarchy in a place founded on democracy and freedom. People had lost all sense of direction when they no longer had to navigate or even drive. Cars hovered, lifted, Ubered, so passengers could text, tweet, snap, tinder, crackle, and pop. Over 20 years after the iPhone X, the latest tech raise, the iFuck satisfied all personal and professional needs for technology. Corporations used it to project advertisements soaring through sky. Blinded stars people would no longer look up to, even if they could, through absent ozone. They were saved from global warming long ago. Fake news spurred fake conversations and fake people. Warnings of artificial intelligence washed away as people filled with it and became the robots generations before had feared. Walking was not common these days, especially at this hour or part of town. Stench from water treatment plants wafted freely with no cover from petroleum or exhaust. Circle K survived, off loiters that littered cluttered gutters. Genetically modified food wrappers clung equally to gluten-free debris as they did to countless water bottles that all pictured mountains and fresh springs. Filtered tap water tasted better with that image. Trash crunched beneath Theus and Harold steps apart. Breaking news blasted from the sky as Harold's phone signaled an emergency. Images of Hammerhead filled sky and social media streams. Reaction, memes swelled around like clouds of a haboob. Someone had caught part of the act, but not a face. Police pursuit streamed live as light danced and demanded reflection from Harold cast in shadow by Theus. Harold's parents had named him with a definition, he never knew which, and he questioned if that had inspired his inability to feel. His parents had told him they loved him, but he never felt like they did. He thought millennials were too busy, too young, too distracted, too comfortable, too overstimulated to last for even a century in any sense. A dictionary could have chosen a better name for them as well. His parents shared this culture with him, shoving a phone into his hands when he turned five and Harold no longer looked out windows, asked questions, or fully listened to his parents. He had once seen a small boy in his first moments free of parental or guardian supervision fill his mouth with marbles. Like most children, he had probably been told no all his life when it came to putting anything unapproved into his mouth. 
He added marbles as if to make up for every time until a need to swallow forced him to cough and choke. Small, round glass slipped and stuck down his esophagus, his windpipe blocked. Harold looked for help. A woman walked what Harold hoped was her child with a leash. The child acting like a dog seemed pleased to be anything other than human. Another pedestrian scoffed, Where are the parents? and did nothing. Choked child finally cried hard enough, panicked and projected. Large tears rolled off his face like marbles, and the same size. Harold felt sick. Theus walked ahead as if on a battlefield. Everything about him would have belonged. His contempt controlled and focused his precise, thoughtful motion and almost seemed to comfort him. Had this man become so disturbed that discomfort had an opposite effect? Or was that really such a difference between happiness and anger? He whistled as his rigid shoulders further relaxed, his long arms swung, and his melody would have sounded pleasant if it hadn't been post-murder that Harold was pretty sure had been planned, if not practiced, and imagined a thousand times before. No, he decided it sounded pleasant and caught a different spark in the eye of this man as he turned once more and stopped. Harold made contact with a brightness he had never seen. Why? Neither was sure who asked first. Theus laughed like thuds of a hammer earlier. Harold's heart pounded. I wanted to feel. Harold answered more honestly than he expected. His heart pounded too loud to separate memory from his anatomy. Then he heard screaming. No, sirens. They were late. Did you? Theus asked. Harold shook his head. Theus reached out his hand. Harold returned the gesture. Theus changed instantly as shake turned trap. Stars erupted from his eyes. Harold's retracted, watered, and shuddered to see the hand around his. Lightning flashed out of wrinkles and pores. Electrical currents buzzed and kissed Harold's flesh. His hair stood and he squirmed as he shook. You wanted to feel. Theus spoke absolutely. Excitement, fear, anxiety create similar sensations. Theus used his other hand to shove fingers through skin, flesh, and muscle and tore open his chest like a shirt. A son? The son? sat where a heart should. Harold's abused eyes hurt but did not hallucinate. Harold felt heat, hot, and burnt. Hate, anger, embarrassment, love, do you feel it? Harold felt a collision as consciousness quaked into instinct. Lava erupted and oozed out of what remained of Theus, vaporized insects, and burst into flame hitting concrete. An ambulance arrived first, EMTs looked around cautiously before doors opened and they gathered their equipment. Theus gathered his remains and stirred them in his elements. Theus began molding the gunk on his fingers like clay. He sculpted a new head, effortlessly, with one hand. He slipped that hand inside and practiced puppeteering. The EMTs pondered a plan as more sirens screamed closer. Theus glanced over and stirred more gunk. He began crafting cremations into his new form. Cop cars screeched to a stop behind and in front of the ambulance as they blocked the road. Two more continued ahead and searched with spotlights. Theus slipped into his creation, secured his head snugly, stretched, and adapted immediately. He was the most beautiful image of a man Harold had ever seen, and he kind of looked like him. Man is so enamored and engulfed by aesthetic and image. No amount of neglect or ignorance can erase instinct and animal in man any more than the most miraculous marvel to turn any tool into a weapon. Harold's sensations slowed, his mouth dry. He raised his chest, shoulders, and body in unison before he inclined his head. Harold had no chance for goodbye when cuffs closed around wrists. 
Harold gave his interrogator an accurate, objective account of what he observed and was released. He asked to be driven back to Denny's. Harold embellished his memory in honor of Theus. He hammered details as he stepped over chip cement that still wasn't quite right in color on Denny's road. Harold remembered how he felt that night three weeks ago, that he had felt. Theus had helped then, and in his confession, all of it had been premeditated. He smashed six heads with a variety of blunt objects as he traveled from his hometown in Colorado. Chained once again to Boulder for trial, he had simply stated time and time again, no amount of neglect or ignorance can erase instinct and animal in any man more than the most miraculous marvel to turn any tool into a weapon.